Hello, and welcome to the Eugene Real Estate Podcast. I am your host, Vince Casey. This is the first podcast devoted entirely to the Eugene real estate market, where every month we bring on local experts to discuss current trends to help us navigate the ever-changing landscape that is real estate. The Eugene Real Estate Podcast is now sponsored by House to Home Construction. House to Home Construction. Love where you live. This month's guest is Lori Stenchel. Lori is a former president of the Eugene Board of Realtors, and she is also the 2022 Realtor of the Year. Lori, welcome to the show. Hey, Vince. Thank you so much for asking me. Um, I'm flattered. Thank you. Absolutely. So, Lori, I'm curious, uh, what does it take to become the Realtor of the Year? Well, um, I suppose everybody's different. I know for me, I have been licensed since 94, and I I started to get involved in state and local leadership um, about 20 years ago. And, you know, once I got involved, you know, I I was kind of hooked. And, you know, I I say yes uh, a lot of times, uh, leaning in, if you will, but only if I know I can make a difference. And, you know, for the last 20 years, I I suppose I've I've been making a difference. Uh, I've been involved at the state level advocating for affordable housing, personal property rights, um, you name it. And then getting involved at the local level as well. Um, And then ultimately, you know, running the chairs, as we say, you know, vice president, pres-elect, and then, and then president a couple of years ago. And when I took on that role, it was really important um, to kind of change the culture of what the association was doing. And, you know, I jumped in and I got out of my comfort zone <laughs> and really worked hard to rebrand, um, creating videos, uh, starting uh, fundraising projects with community-supported shelters, Food for Lane County, how, you know, Habitat for Humanity, um, many local nonprofits really sitting on the um, county board for homeless and poverty and uh, talking with all the different agencies involved with dealing with the, the housing crisis and the unhoused. So just really, really jumping in. And, um, you know, it, there's a lot of work, a lot of time commitment to that. And then ultimately, your your peers um, nominate you, and then there's a committee that uh, chooses who the Realtor of the Year will be. And so last year, it was me. Wow, you wear a, a lot of different hats over there. Thanks for being so involved uh-huh. in your community. Um, I know one of the reasons that you got the title of Realtor of the Year, you're very active politically, uh, advocating for housing on many different platforms. And I know you recently went to Washington, D.C. Uh, what were you ab- advocating for this trip? Well, I was recently elected uh, as a National Association of Realtor uh, Board of Directors through Oregon. So um, I have been going to the legislative meetings for the the past couple of years, um, and there's about 10,000 realtors that that land in Washington to advocate for housing issues. And I know last year we had a fabulous opportunity. uh, You know, I sat down with Senator Wyden. Um, We had an opportunity to kind of talk about issues we're facing locally. And then he talked about, you know, what he's working on. At that time, he was working on what's called the DASH Act, which is decent, affordable, safe housing for all. And, of course, that lines up exactly with what we're doing here is everyone deserves a safe place to call home. And I know my efforts here have been to um, really work on community health and you know, create a lot of opportunities for different types of housing. Um, this this year, 
um, we have, you know, I'm on the Housing Opportunities Committee, which is a fabulous committee. And, and the types of things we work on is how do we put programs out to create financial literacy? Um, what are different housing types? What are they doing around the nation to come up with creative types of housing? Um, so I gleaned a lot of information from that. And there's some interesting, you know, hearing from uh, a realtor in Miami working really hard with the county there. Uh, to buy, you know, to to get the surplus lands and create shipping container housing. That's certainly an unusual idea. Um, Very cool. So, you know, I'm on the Housing Opportunities Committee with NAR, and that provides an excellent opportunity to sit with other um, brokers from around the country and and glean information on what they're doing to create more types of housing, um, creating financial fitness for um, consumers, and just really trying to figure out ways that that folks can get into to housing. As as we well know, things are just absolutely unaffordable, and I believe. Oregon and Eugene in particular were one of the tightest, most expensive housing uh, markets in the nation and certainly the highest unhoused population as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know the housing crisis is a national issue as well. Are there any solutions being proposed at the federal level that uh, that's being presented that would address that issue that might affect us? You know, there were a couple policies that we voted to implement, and one of them is actually um, taking investors who own rental property properties, one to four rentals, um, and reducing their capital gains. So if they agree to sell to an owner occupant, then they'll have a reduced capital gains commitment there, which hopefully would, um, you know, make it a little more affordable for that buyer. And of course, encourage more, uh, landlords to actually convert the rentals into owner occupied housing. So everywhere I go, I hear we need more affordable housing. So why doesn't a builder just go some affordable units? Uh, whatever happened to the supply and demand chain? Well, it is a supply demand issue and we're so limited on supply. And, you know, in Eugene in particular, it's incredibly, incredibly expensive to build anything. And so affordability um, is almost a myth anymore. And I do know, I was talking to Homes for Good, uh, Steve Oaks there, who's one of the project managers. And Homes for Good, they're creating um, hundreds of units of housing for folks that are about at the 80% or even 50% of the median income locally. And they've, they've provided about 620 units in the last year um, for, for veterans, for folks that were affected by the wildfires, for unhoused and a lot of these opportunities have the wraparound services required to kind of getting people on their feet again. So they're doing excellent work and the county actually goes to them first with some of their, their surplus land and gives them kind of first dibs on if they can create affordable housing. It's, it's for, um, it's for rent. So we don't have actually uh, affordable units for owner occupancy at this time. And that's unfortunate. That's what we really need. And of course, alleviating the pressure um, from all levels of housing, renters, unhoused, everything, you know, as everyone can move up the rung, then it just makes it easier for the community to, to, um, okay, I don't know what I'm saying there. 
from renters getting into their first homes, the more units we have at all levels does actually uh, work towards that end goal of everybody getting into housing and creating that healthier community we've, we've been hoping for. So it sounds like we need to end up creating like a stipend or some sort of tax break to actually make affordable housing something that builders want to get involved in. Um, uh, it just doesn't sound like a project like that pencils at this time due to whatever it is, workers rates or building materials or uh, what it takes to, to build in Lane County, like you were saying. Um, yeah. Construction costs are outrageous right now. And, you know, permit costs are, are incredibly high and they haven't worked on doing that. We have moved forward um, with our missing middle housing bill, house bill 2001 that has actually kind of cleared the path to create uh, the missing middle housing that was so popular in the mid 20th century townhouses, fourplexes, triplexes, duplexes. And, you know, we have now allowed that to happen. And yet I was talking to a friend at planning saying that, um, really the only permits are actually to just sort of repurpose what is existing. Um, there aren't these teardowns uh, and putting in the fourplexes that everybody was so concerned would happen. That actually isn't happening. It's just too expensive. It's it's more cost effective to actually just retrofit what is existing. Um, so we have a ways to go to work on that and we're working on restructuring fees and costs to actually build, but we're just, we're not there yet. Absolutely. Um... So I love Eugene, obviously. I live here. Um, I love being close to the mountains. I love its rivers and trees. Uh, I love being able to visit the ocean when I want to. I even love them being a little picky about expanding the urban growth boundary. Uh, that being said, I do have a few notes on the lack of residential dwellings we actually have in the downtown footprint. I have a friend that's an architect that says it's almost unprecedented how little residences we have downtown compared to many metropolitan areas. Um, we have seen some apartments go up recently, uh, but it seems like with the new trend of vacant office buildings, there might be an opportunity to correct that. Well, you know, there's a, there's a lot of, a lot of issues, a lot of moving parts there. You know, there are creative ways to look at it. And I know better homes, uh, they're taking, uh, one of the old, um, Red Lion Inns that's off of Franklin, and they've converted that into housing um, for folks that are transitioning from homelessness. Um, there's also the concept of taking existing commercial buildings, office space downtown, you know, and, and really it would only be for space that it just we don't think is going to come back. There can be opportunities to repurpose or we call it adaptive reuse for a lot of these um, properties that have just sort of been abandoned because people aren't going back to the office space anymore. You know, we have to be careful that we're not going to convert buildings that will come back and, and create that, that commercial benefit in the downtown corridor, for example. Um, but they are opportunities to go in and retrofit a lot of these. And that is something that is on the national dialogue to be sure. Um, the other thing that we're talking about is, you know, you know, there, there are opportunities. We have to be careful that we're not going to convert something that actually could back, come back um, in its, its original form because we don't want to lose our commercial space downtown as things grow and develop. But there are opportunities to retrofit a lot of the office space that may be outside of the downtown area. You know, people are being displaced. They can't afford to live where they work anymore. So there's a lot of issues. There's a lot of things that we can kind of look at to repurpose what we have existing. Um, you know, and there's even been talk about 
you know, looking at a mall, creating a community out of a mall. I mean, that's getting creative, but it's it's just kind of a new way of thinking about space. Absolutely. Uh, one of the buildings that inspires me is the Lincoln School condos, which is a beautiful vintage school that has been converted into condos. I see this and it gives me hope because not only are they affordable, but they also give you a chance at ownership, which is a true way to start building wealth. Um, were you a part of the process of getting that building converted? Was that due to some of the advocating you did? So Lincoln School condos um, were developed, redeveloped in 2006 from a local developer. And initially, 1924, it was the Woodrow Wilson Middle School. And then 30 years later, it became the Lincoln School Elementary School for several years. And then over the years, it was several different things. And then in 06, uh, it was converted into condominiums and it still is. It's on the National Historic Register. So to have that ability, they had to really be careful with what they did um, when they did convert these. So you still have the the mailboxes. You still have the little the the, the drinking fountains in the hallway, um, the vintage feel in the common areas. It's just beautiful. And then the other thing, while the spaces are very small, and of course, you know, we're all trending towards living in smaller spaces. Um, they do have the 12 foot ceilings and the walls of windows. So people can live in a very inspired space. And I think that's important um, as we do accept the smaller space, um, you know, that, that 12 foot ceiling makes a huge difference. And, you know, these, these condos, they don't stay on the market. And and I think they came out, there were about a hundred thousand initially when they came out in 06 and they're selling for over 300,000 now. And, you know, honestly, I, you know, when I was um, going through my divorce, this was a place I had listed in the past and it felt very urban to me. I loved the way they felt. So it was kind of natural for me to just kind of immediately end up here. And, you know, over time it was affordable for me to get into and the appreciation has been considerable. And so, you know, again, it's creating that generational wealth where you can get in, you can begin ownership, you know, it creates stability. Uh, it creates wealth. Um, and it, it creates a sense of, there's a sense of community here, for example. And I know, you know, I was just working with a client this last weekend looking for condos. And, you know, a lot of the ones that are affordable have been um, previous apartment buildings, if you will, that have been converted. And we just don't have any of those projects on the horizon. It's very expensive to tear down and start again. Um, but if we're talking climate, we're talking reuse, recycling, then retrofitting these older apartment buildings makes a lot of sense. And there just aren't a lot of these on the horizon. And a lot of times, you know, a lot of times developers, it's just it doesn't it doesn't work out for them. It's not cost effective to to create a condominium project when they can just go in and create rentals. And that's what we're seeing all over these high rise um, rental apartments uh, and no nothing for owner occupancy at this time. Yeah, that's too bad. I uh, I definitely love the gorgeous windows at the Lincoln School. And, you know, if I didn't have my kiddo, uh, you might see me over there, too. So uh, good job landing a spot there. Um, I have heard a rumor that the old LCC building uh, on Willamette Street is getting converted into affordable housing. Do you know anything about that project? You know, that project, I'm not, I don't know a lot about it. And it's been on the books for a while. Um, so there is talk that it will be converted into rentals, not, not owner occupancy, but that's happening. Yes. Okay. 
Well, it's a start. It's a start. Well, one of the buildings that catches my eye is the old train yard off of Roosevelt. Um, I'm not sure the intricacies of actually converting a space. It might just be kind of a pipe dream, but uh, the windows on it already look perfect for some funky warehouse style lofts. Uh, Put in a few businesses downstairs and you have a new community started in the train song area. Exactly. And, you know, I, I know I agree with you how beautiful those are. It's the windows that kind of catch you that loft style living um, that feels urban. Um, but, you know, to, to convert those types of spaces are very expensive. And then does the location, you know, really allow for that expense at this time? So there's a lot of considerations on that. I do know that the steam plant, the old E-Web steam plant down on the waterfront, they are going to keep that structure and they are going to convert that and keep the historical status that it has. Um, they're not going to turn it into housing, but they will. it will be mixed use. It will be a big brewery. And so they're going to do some interesting things down on the water. There will be a lot of mixed use down there and some housing. Um, I don't know that it's affordable, um, but there will be more housing. You know, and, and a typical example is you have Brian Obi who expanded Fifth Street Market into the, the Gordon Lofts. And to mitigate that, he had to create affordable housing, and that's the commons. And so the... So you see that structure right next to the Gordon Lofts, and those are for actually it's for for vets, and they can live there at eighty percent of the median income. So a lot of times these these more expensive projects they do have to mitigate and create some affordable housing and able to do that. So so we do see that happening. That's great. I definitely know exactly what building you're talking about. That's going to be really exciting to see that project come to life. Uh, I love that building. Um, well, we can't really have a conversation about density and infill without talking about the change in zoning last year that allows for more ADUs and multifamily dwellings in residential neighborhoods. Have you seen this start to make an impact? You know, there was a lot of uh, concern over uh, House Bill 2001, the mixed middle housing, um, to kind of create more infill downtown um, because we just don't expand our urban growth boundaries like every 20 years, you know, and then. And then it's, it depends on where, and it's, it's usually not a lot. Um, so looking at House Bill, it was to create this, this housing um, where you can go um, duplexes. There's been quite a few permit permits for duplexes, but really you're not seeing much for the fourplexes or the cluster developments. And a lot of people were really concerned that their next door neighbor, you know, developer would come in, tear down the house and then put up a, a cluster housing unit or a fourplex. That isn't happening. The permits do not reflect that at this time. And it's because it's too expensive. So people are typically going in and creating uh, a duplex out of an existing home. And ADUs, of course, have come in and become very popular. So you have that option to create housing. Um, and a lot of times it's it's for um, to create more income with uh, the short-term rental market, Airbnb, VRBO, that sort of thing. Uh, it's to put um, a child in because they're not getting out. They're not uh, um, getting out and getting jobs and being able to afford a place to live themselves. So we're seeing more of the kids staying home or having an aging parent have them right there. Uh, close by so you can look out for them. So it's nice to have that option that we can do what we want with our own property. Um, but what we're seeing is we're seeing that most of these are being converted into short-term rentals. And the argument is it's taking away units from actual um, long-term housing. You know, I had a client come in from California looking for a home to kind of invest in while their kid was in school. And they bought a really nice home up in the um, Spring Boulevard neighborhood. And, you know, 
they crunched the numbers and it made more sense for them to use it as a short-term rental uh, house. And so they're going to make a lot more money renting it out for when we have the the games and, and that sort of thing. Um, but again, it's taking a unit of property off the market for somebody to move into as an owner-occupant. Yeah, a lot of these ADUs uh, doesn't necessarily mean more housing, which I know is the purpose, but um, we're certainly seeing the short-term rental market play play a pretty big factor into having a lot of these units taken up um, and not being for actual housing. So you kind of yeah. took the words right out of my mouth there. Um, I'm not sure what the answer to that is, but it definitely seems like, um, you know, with these new zoning laws, there is going to be more opportunity. But, um, you know, I work with my main client is a remodeler. And yeah, construction is so expensive. It absolutely doesn't pencil to bulldoze a property and then to rebuild it right on the same land. So I think a lot of people that had those fears of of that trend um, taking hold can lay those fears to rest. Yeah, it, it appears so. I, I do hope we work on the costs. You know, our, our permit fees, everything are just are outrageous, especially compared to Springfield. Um, their their costs are, are, are less to actually, you know, create more housing over there. Well, um, you know, keep us posted on social media and different things that we should be uh, helping you with to, to get some of those stipends or to get some of those tax credits so builders can start building um, more affordable housing and we can start taking care of some of these density issues. Um, Agreed. Well, Lori, uh, you're certainly a plethora of information. If someone wants to get a hold of you and get more details about this discussion, what's the best way to reach out to you? Um, they can email me, Lori at LoriStenchel.com. Well, folks, that's all the time we have. I'd like to thank Lori for coming on today. I'd like to thank our sponsor, House to Home Construction. I want to thank Patty Rose for being my producer. And I want to thank all of you for listening. Good night, and we'll see you next time. If you have a question for the show, feel free to email us at eugenerealestatepodcast at gmail.com. If you would like to work with Vince Casey as a buyer or seller, please email him at vincecaseyrealestate at gmail.com. Be sure to mention this podcast with House to Home Construction to receive up to $500 off any roof bid from a competitor in writing. 